following is a teaching message from Shore Community Church. For more information on Shore or our teaching resources, visit www.shore.org.nz. What I want to do this morning is uh, I want to talk a little bit about culture, the culture that we're living in, uh, not, not just New Zealand culture, but more broadly, the Western culture that we live within, uh, and what it means for us as Christians to uh, live out our faith in the midst of this particular cultural context, the modern age that we're in, and how we can engage friends and neighbors meaningfully within our culture. Uh, the last couple of years that Anna and I have been away on holiday with, with our boys, we've allowed them to choose a few DVDs to take with them on holiday. So we've gone to Video Easy before we go, we've got a few DVDs out and we've allowed them to watch them down there and on the way as well because we've got, now got one of those portable DVD players which is a lifesaver for long journeys. So, and, and so last year, one of the DVDs they chose was Frozen. <laughs> I thought we might have avoided that because we've got three boys, but no such luck. They wanted Frozen, so we got out Frozen and watched it while we were away on holiday. I watched bits and pieces of it, not the whole thing, just purely for parental supervision, of course. Uh, and, you know, it's a fun movie, it's a good movie, it's well made, it's kind of typical Disney sort of stuff. But, as you know, the main song in Frozen is a big deal, right? Let it go. Hmm? You know the one I'm talking about. That's become a big hit. Let it go. And th I just want to read you some of the words of that song, just to kick us off, just to set the scene here. Um, this is part of the song, Let It Go. It's, in the movie, it's sung by Princess Elsa. So she's singing this song. It's time to see what I can do to test the limits and break through. No right, no wrong, no rules for me. I'm free. Let it go, let it go. I'm one with the wind and sky. Let it go, let it go. You'll never see me cry. Here I'll stand and here I'll stay. Let the storm rage on. The cold never bothered me anyway. Some of you are singing along already, aren't you? It's pretty catchy. Uh, so... Nothing wrong with Frozen, nothing wrong with, you know, it's, that's fine to sing that song and listen to that song. But those words are a little bit troubling, some of them. And I think they epitomize so much about the modern age that we live in, so much about our modern culture. They sort of express the sentiment of breaking free from other people's expectations, breaking free from what society says you should do, breaking free from social convention. Don't worry about anyone else. Don't worry about anything else. You just be who you are. You just be free to be yourself. You just live how you want to live and you live your own life the best way you can to the full. It's that kind of idea. And you hear that idea all the time in our modern culture. It's sort of like the mantra of our culture, this idea of be yourself, believe in yourself. Uh, Oprah Winfrey came out late last year, you remember that, and her mantra, her slogan that she has everywhere she goes is live your fullest life. In other words, tap into your potential, live out the fullest kind of life that you can, realize your own destiny. Uh, a few years ago, Ellen DeGeneres spoke at a university graduation ceremony and she said, the one piece of advice I give you is be true to yourself and everything will be fine. And you hear this, you hear this from talk show hosts, you hear it through movies, you hear it, it's pretty much the storyline of every Disney movie ever made. Believe in yourself, be true to yourself, discover who you really are, release this beautiful person deep inside and everything's going to be great. And there is a ring of truth about this. It's not all rubbish. There's, of course we want to live authentic lives, right? Of course we want, we want to be authentic, we want to be genuine people, we don't want to be slaves to other people's opinions. We are unique individuals. 
But what I want to talk about is how I think all of this talk we've got going on in our culture about be true to yourself, be who you truly are, look deep inside and discover the person deep within. All of this is part of a much deeper, much bigger cultural shift that's going on and has gone on over the last hundred years that we need to understand as Christians if we're going to live faithfully within this world and engage meaningfully in the world. The question that Princess Elsa is asking is really the question of identity. It's the question, who am I? The simplest question in the world in one way, who am I? It's a question everyone who's ever lived has had to ask and answer in some way. It's not unique to Princess Elsa since the dawn of time. Everybody, every tribe, every tongue, every nation, everybody's had to ask, who am I? What does it mean to be me? Where do I find my identity? What does it mean to be uniquely and truly me? What does it mean to be human? Who gets to tell me who I am? That's an old question. But what is unique is that the way we've started answering that question is changing. The way that we're starting to answer this question of self-identity has shifted quite dramatically in the last century or so. Before about the mid-20th century, when people asked this question, self-identity, they asked, who am I? What does it mean to be me? Where do I get my sense of identity from? Most of the time, they would look outside of themselves. Most of the time, there was this sense, there was this belief that self-identity was something that we receive from other people. Another group of people beyond, somehow beyond me I discover who I truly am. A lot of the time, that would be my family. I look to my family to tell me who I am. So Anna and I, at the moment, are working our way through season five of Downton Abbey. Hmm. And that, uh, no judging, please. That is, it's a good program. And it's interesting, the, way, the snapshot that gives. So, here, so you've got in early 20th century England and this rigid class system. And you see quite clearly the way that people are defined around family. Where do you get a sense of identity? I'm part of this family. And that tells me, to a large extent, who I am and my place in life. My family and my social class tell me who I am. Now, those things can change through marriage, through inheritance, through whatever, but that proves the point. As your family changes, so your identity changes. Or as your social class changes, so your identity shifts. Your identity is largely tied to those things, and they move only when those things change. Other times, other eras, people would look to their clan, they would look to their tribe, they would look to their city, perhaps, for identity. They would look even to their country to tell them who they were, but always identity is this thing that I get from somewhere else outside of me. Now, around the middle of the 20th century, all of that started to change and started to shift because you see the arrival of this hyper-individualistic kind of culture. And that's the culture that we now live in, culture of individualism. We don't think a lot about individualism because it's just the air that we breathe, but it's a fairly recent development in human history. This idea that at the center of society, it's not the family or the clan or the tribe, it's the individual. The, the, the highest value that Western culture has is the value of the individual self. And the great goal of Western culture is the freedom of the individual. That the individual has to be free to pursue what the individual wants to pursue. They need it. We need to find who we are and we need to live out this unshackled, unrestricted individual life and be free to be who we truly are. And the role of the government is largely seen as protecting the rights and the freedoms of the individual. So you hear all this talk about 
freedom of expression and freedom of religion and freedom of assembly. And it's all around protecting the individual person so that we can truly be free as individuals, realize our potential, fulfill all our destiny. So to bring all this together, the question then becomes, what do you get when you ask that question of self-identity? When you ask this question, who am I? Within an individualistic culture. When you ask Elsa's question, within this individualistic age, what do you get? And the answer is you get frozen and you get pretty much every other Disney movie ever made. You get a culture that tells us now, you need to discover a sense of self-identity, but you no longer get it from outside of yourself. You can no longer look to your family to tell you who you are. You can no longer look to your clan, your tribe, your race, your country, your city. What you now have to do in an individualized age is you need to look within. So there's this whole shift inward. What we need to do now, our culture tells us, we need to look deep inside your own heart. Look deep inside you. This is that Mariah Carey song. Look inside you and it's true that a hero lies in you. So you look deep inside yourself and you will find this hero. You'll find this true self, this true, pure, beautiful version of you with hopes and dreams and destiny and purpose and ambition. And you will find the self and you need to unleash it and you need to reveal and you need to bring that true you to its fullest expression so the whole world can see who you truly are. That's the idea of be true to yourself. Look inside, figure out, find who you are, find that true you, and then live it out, live out your potential. That's what our culture tells us. Now that sounds wonderful. That is an enticing story to live by. The problem becomes, what happens when you actually look deep within yourself? I don't find much of a hero. I find a bit of a rat bag. You know, you look inside yourself and you find, well, in my case, you find a little bit of good and you find a whole lot of bad. And it's just not quite as clear cut. We look inside our own hearts to try and find this hero inside of ourselves and we find a lot of ambiguity. We find a lot of question marks. We find a lot of desires that we're not even sure are that good for us. We're not even sure, like if I lived out my deepest, truest desires, would that even be good for me or for anybody else? We see a lot of grey, we see often mixed motives, mixed desires, confused ambitions, not often a very strong sense of identity. Often we really struggle getting a sense of, well, who, who am I? It feels like it should be easy because Oprah and Ellen and Mariah Carey tell us it should be easy, but it doesn't feel easy. It doesn't feel easy to get in touch with who I truly and uniquely am. So what do we do? We try to create an identity. We try to create, we feel like we've got to, feel like I need to be living out this true self, apparently everybody else is. So I've got to try and create this sense that I really know who I am and I've got to construct this kind of identity for the rest of you, this sort of impressive person. I was sitting in a classroom this morning at the school here and there's this, this, this poster, this sign on the wall that says life is not about finding yourself, it is about creating yourself. That, that's where our culture is. It's the sense now you don't even find yourself, you've got to construct an identity. You've got to create an identity from scratch, look inside you, see what raw materials you can possibly find, and you've got to sort of construct this thing from scratch. And so we do and we try because we feel immense pressure to try and be someone in the world, but it's pretty exhausting. And isn't this the world that we're living in? Isn't this life that we spend time, and this is your friends, your colleagues, your co-workers, everyone's running around trying to construct some sense of self-identity and trying to maintain this image to the world, trying to manage a self-impression trying to manage an identity. But in the end, we're only just holding it together because we're not really sure who we are underneath all of that. 
we struggle to figure out what's my identity really, but we feel like we've got to live something, so we try to do our best, manage our Facebook profile as best we can to project this image that I do know who I am and I've kind of got it all together and I am living out my true self, whatever that means. This is modern culture. This is what happens when the search for self-identity goes inward and it becomes something that we've tried to create within our own hearts. And I think this is a moment when followers of Jesus really have something to say to the world really have hope to speak. Because we live in a culture that promises so much, promises this idea that you can live out your true destiny, and yet ultimately delivers so little. It delivers a lot of confusion. It delivers a lot of ambiguity. It it delivers a lot of guilt where people feel like they're not really being true to themselves, but they don't know what to do about it. It delivers nothing like what it promises. And this is a time, I think, for us as, as churches, as Christians, to step forward with a better story a better way of understanding who we are, a better way of answering the question of self-identity. And so I want to just share one verse from Scripture, just a single verse this morning, just share a couple of thoughts on it around how the Bible answers this question of self-identity and where, according to a Christian worldview, identity comes from and how it's given to us. And just contrast that with the cultural view of self-identity that we live in in the secular context. So 2 Corinthians Chapter 5, verse 17. We're going to spend a lot more time in 2 Corinthians this year. It's going to be the major book that we tackle. So I won't spend too much time in it now. Just one verse today. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17. Paul, The Apostle Paul's writing this and he says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. So if we take the first half of that verse first, If anyone is in Christ, Paul loves using those two words together, in Christ. You're in Christ, I'm in Christ, we've got this inheritance in Christ, we are together in Christ. That's the biblical answer to the question of self-identity. Where does self-identity come from? Where do we find out who we truly are? Where do we find what it means to be me? Where do I find what it means to be truly human? In Christ. That's the Christian answer to that question. We don't find it by looking deep inside ourselves, but neither do we find it just by looking to family or looking to friends, tribe, clan, city, community, or country. We find our identity by ultimately looking to Christ. He tells us who we are, He names us, and He has a rightful claim on our lives. So we know who we are only when we are in Christ. That's where identity is really found. Another way of putting this is you can only know who you are when you know whose you are. In other words, when you know who you belong to, that you belong to God, that you are created by him, that you are fearfully and wonderfully made. Yes, you do have a unique identity. Yes, you are uniquely an individual. You do have a true self, but that's not just something you create and try and manufacture from scratch. Ultimately, our identity is one we receive from God. We receive from our creator. How do I know who I am? Ultimately, I am a son of the father. I know who I am as a child of God. And in order to claim my identity, I have to claim my belovedness from the father. That I am loved by him, chosen by him, accepted in him. My identity is in Christ And that's where our identity belongs. We find our deepest and truest identity in Christ because we were created by God and we were created to have a reconciled relationship with him. And that's where identity is at its fullest as human beings. 
But that's not all. The second half of the verse then goes on. Your identity is not just about you and God. It goes further. Paul says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone, the new is here. Now, some of your Bibles, some of the older translations at this point say, if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. Some of you have that or words to that effect, and there's this idea, and this is how I grew up understanding it and how many of us understood it, that when we come to Christ and we become a Christian, we personally become a new creation, that we individually become a new creation. There was even a little song written on that verse, and we all sung it, and we were all very happy about it. But I'm not sure that's what Paul is saying. I tend to think that we've read this verse through the lens of our individualistic culture, and we've assumed that it's only talking about us as individual people. But the Greek behind that English translation simply says the equivalent of this. If anyone is in Christ, new creation. So Paul's not simply saying, if you're in Christ, you are a new creation. He's saying, if you're in Christ, you become part of God's new creation. You are a participant in this whole thing called new creation that God is bringing about this renewed and reconciled and restored world that's much bigger than you. And it transcends your individual identity. In other words, your identity is bigger than you. And as long as you place yourself at the center of the story, you're actually going to miss. Your identity is found in being part of this new creation that God is bringing about. Has anyone read that book, The Purpose Driven Life? Really popular, hey, maybe uh, what, a decade or so ago. I haven't read it. I've read the first four words of it. And I, I felt like that was enough. They were good four words. Anyone know the first four words of the purpose-driven life? That was the Bible <laughs> in the beginning. The first four words of the purpose-driven life, it's not about you. That's pretty good. I think if I was a teacher, I'd probably put that on my wall, which is probably why I wouldn't be a very good teacher. It's not about you, but I like that. Is the sense of don't make yourself the hero of the story. You're not the hero of the story. Jesus is. Your privilege is that you get to become part of a story of which God is the author and Jesus is the hero and you're a participant in this story. But you're not the hero of the story. And as long as you think you are, you're actually going to miss your identity. You're going to try and create it for yourself. But our identity is in becoming part of God's new creation. We are transformed. We're born again. And then we become part of this new world that God's bringing about, even in the midst of the old world, even in the midst of the brokenness of the present world. And God enlists us, and he makes us agents of new creation. And by the Spirit, we're able to bring about these tastes of new creation, faith and hope and love, and extend them to other people all over the place in all kinds of everyday ways, ordinary conversations and prayers and acts of service and relationships and so on. We are extending new creation to other people and we're discovering who we are by participating in something that's bigger than just ourselves what does it look like let me just give you one example it, it looks like a million things but here's just one story a guy that I know called Sam uh, he used to be a doctor in an emergency department and uh, a Christian guy and he tells the story one day he arrived at work arrived at the emergency department I think it was a Saturday morning It was about 7 a.m. he arrived there and uh, in the handover of shifts, one of the nurses said to him, uh, there's, in cubicle C, there's a woman waiting for you. She used another word for woman, which I won't say, but it was pretty derogatory. And Sam went and saw this woman, and it turns out that she was there to get the morning after pill. And she'd already been waiting about three hours by this time. She'd been treated pretty rudely by the other staff that were there. And Sam just 
started by saying to her, I hear you've had a bit of a rough night. And just tried to engage her with grace and with compassion and with love as he talked with her. And I talked with Sam late last year about that, that incident and he shed a bit more light on it for me. He said that when he was talking to this woman, what he was really trying to do was just see her in light of the new creation. And actually imagine in his mind, imagine if this woman became a follower of Jesus, Lord willing, and imagine if she joined us in the new heavens and the new earth. What would she be like? What would that person be like? Perfected in the image of God. Inner beauty shining through. And he said, I tried to keep that in my mind as I interacted with her because you so quickly lose sight of that in the brokenness of the present situation. But I just tried to think about what, what, who, who is this woman truly in God's eyes and who would she be if her true destiny in Christ was revealed? And it stayed with me, that idea of treating people according to the new creation rather, rather than according to the brokenness of what you see in the present. That when you speak some encouragement to someone when you pray for someone, when you're just simply there for someone, just present with someone, you are bringing new creation into that situation. And if you can see that person in God's eyes, if you can see them in view of their ultimate destiny in Christ, God willing, that they were with us one day standing there, would it change the way that you saw them? Would it change the way that you treated them? Would it mean that you spoke to them with a little bit more grace? What Sam did that day was not just to be a good doctor or even just a good Christian. He was bringing about a little piece of new creation, even in the midst of the old creation. And he was deepening his own identity because he was part of what God is doing in the world. And that feeds into who we are in Christ. Are there people in your life, just in the normal course of things, who you can show new creation to, people that you can pray for, people maybe that you can just be present with, speak a little bit of hope to. I remember one of the hardest things that I've ever done as a pastor was to walk into a, a hospital delivery suite just after a woman had given birth to a stillborn baby. Um, a couple who were sort of part of our church community at the time and she'd gone into hospital fully expecting to give birth to a healthy little baby and a few hours later delivered the stillborn child and I was one of the first few people there. And there's, I mean, what do you say? There's nothing you can say, nothing that doesn't sound hollow and cliche and trite. And so I didn't because I couldn't think of anything. I just sat there and then offered a short prayer after a while. But I've come to see, looking back on it, that just hopefully in some way just being present was something of a gift, some, something that might have just had some meaning. And, and I think in, in some situations that's a way of offering new creation to people is just simply by being present with them, simply by showing up when someone's hurting or struggling, simply by being there when someone is in need. Someone called it the art of presencing just allowing your presence to be a gift, your own personal presence. And when you do that, you're not just being nice, but you are bringing about God's new creation, another taste, another glimpse of new creation. And you're deepening your identity because your identity is found in being part of this great drama of salvation that is going on all around us in which Christ is the hero, but we're invited to participate through him, bringing about faith and hope and love in the world. So I want to encourage you not to allow what our culture says about identity to dictate the terms for you. Nothing wrong with seeing Frozen. It's on TV tonight. Go for your life. But let's not allow the world to squeeze us into its mold on this one and tell us where identity comes from. Let's not listen to the story that says if you just believe in yourself in this completely humanistic, completely self-orientated way, 
then that's the answer to the identity question. But let's, as followers of Jesus, continue to point ourselves and point others to the source of all true identity, which is in Christ. The God who created us, the God who loves us. He names us. He gives us our identity. And let's find our identity in him, and let's find our identity by participating in his work, in his story, in new creation, in a million little ways, conversations, reactions, and responses in the course of everyday life. Let's be agents of new creation. That's where our identity is truly found. Let me pray. Jesus, we thank you that you loved us enough to invite us to be reconciled to you and to have our identity swallowed up in your identity. We thank you, God, that we don't, we don't find who we are by just looking deep inside ourselves. But as Augustine said, our hearts are restless until they find their rest in thee. Father, I pray for any restless hearts here today, anyone who's struggling with this question of identity, not sure who they are. I pray, God, that you'd lead them to yourself and that you would help them to see you with arms outstretched, the God who has died, suffered for them, so that they could truly be known by you and know who they are in you. And then God, lead us to participate in new creation. Show us the ways. God, it's a big idea, but boil it right down for us. And even today, Father, just put the names and the faces of people that you might want us to show your love to around us, that we could be your ambassadors in the world. And as we do that, we thank you that we are part of a great story that will one day lead to a renewed world full of peace and your presence. We thank you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. This has been a teaching message from Shaw Community Church. For more of our teaching resources, or to donate to our teaching resource ministry, or for more information on Shaw Community Church, visit www.shaw.org.nz. Alternatively, you can email office at shaw.org.nz or phone 09 415 0455. Thank you for listening.